Hello, this is Christy Amira Harfouche, and you're listening to the Christian Harfouche Ministries podcast. We have a message for you today from Reverend John Harfouche. For more information, live broadcasts, and video teachings, connect with us online at globalrevival.com and join us every week for the Christian Harfouche Ministries podcast. Turn with me in your Bibles. I have a, a wealth of scripture to get through this morning, so I'm just um, seeing where we should begin. I'm, I'm drawn to Genesis 1-1, but we won't, we won't start that early. Turn with me to the book of Colossians chapter 2, and we'll pick up from there. Let's start with verse 6. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm not going to stop on every phrase, uh, but how many of you recognize that that implies uh, a couple of things? It implies the reception of Jesus Christ, the new birth and it implies action after that reception. So, <laughs> as ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord. How many of us here have received Christ Jesus the Lord? Yeah. Hallelujah. So walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Uh, the word rudiments is, uh, the Greek word means an arrangement, uh, a foundation, a proposition. It is the, the argument of the world. Let's say the structure of the world, the system of the world, the way that the world operates. How many of you know that without Jesus there is a certain way that the world operates. Without divine ability, there are certain realities that exist for all of mankind. And there are certain ways that people act and things that they do unrighteously that are looked at as the only way to get ahead in the world. Right? The, after the rudiments of the world... Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Hallelujah. In whom also ye are circumcised 
with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Hallelujah. So Jesus Christ, in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He is the power above all powers, the name above all names. So, you know, I know that many people whose focus is spiritual warfare, there have been camps within the church that talk about principalities and powers and things like that. But the important thing to understand is that the king of kings is more powerful than any principality or power or anything. And we don't fight the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Our enemies are not people. They are principalities and powers in high places, high things, but none of them are high enough to come even remotely close to the height of the one in whom we are complete. In whom we are. So when you say, greater is he that's in me than he that is in the world, understand how much greater that is. Because you're not talking about a super heavyweight fighting a featherweight. You're talking about a much wider gulf than that. You're talking about the infinite fighting the finite. You're talking about powers that might be lofty by their own definition, but compared to God are powerless. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So just, just that's a, it's a bonus there. In whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. And then he explains what he's talking about. In putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. The old man being dead is, is the circumcision that is made without hands. It is the calling out to be God's people. It is the new generation. It is the fulfillment of all the covenants that God made with man since the beginning when he said, let us make man in our image. It is the circumcision that's made without hands. And then he defines this. Buried with him in baptism. So, the putting away of the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. Hallelujah! 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 Baptism. Coming through the waters into a new world. Coming through the waters into a new life. That old body of sin being buried and that new resurrected humanity rising up with Christ. And you being buried 
dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he's talking to Gentiles, hath he quickened together with him. Now, we don't use the word quickened in this way anymore, so we'll just say it in modern parlance, resurrected or made alive. To quicken means to put life into someone. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hath he made alive, hath he resurrected together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it, the cross. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You can put the Bible down and put your hand on your spirit and say, I am a believer. I have an alert mind, a ready heart. My body is full of energy. I am ready to receive what God has for me today. I will hear it. I will heed it. And I will change. And I will not leave this place the way that I came. Well, if you believe it, shout like you've never shouted before. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! And you may be seated for as long as you are capable of doing so. Hallelujah. In 1 Peter, well, you can turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. I believe uh, that Pastor Christie also touched on this scripture uh, on Friday. How many of you understand that Paul is describing baptism as the new birth. Baptism is the seal of the new birth, as the mark of the new birth, right? As a symbol of the death and resurrection. The water, when you go down into the water, is the grave. It is the death of the old man. And when you come up out of the water, it is the resurrection It is the new birth. The waters of baptism are both called the grave, and they're also called the womb of the new birth, the womb of the new man. That moment of baptism, which is something we only do once, because we know and understand that Christ was the one sacrifice that covered all sin and never has to be given again. It's interesting to know that there were other people baptizing when John came around and started baptizing. It might not have been called baptizing, but there was, 
some called baptizing, some called other things. There was different kinds of ritual cleansing. But in all of those cases, just like the sacrifices of the Old Testament, it was something that was done repeatedly over and over and over again. But the new baptism, the new baptism that came with the precursor to Christ and then with Christ himself and with his apostles was a baptism that happened once. The implication being you weren't rinsing yourself off from dirt that's going to get on you again later. No, that in that one baptism, you were forever changed. And we're not talking about the efficacy of earthly water. How many of you shower every day or at least regularly? I'm a little concerned with the response. How many of you shower regularly? Praise the Lord. Thank God. There, you, you might get earthly dirt on you and you wash it off in the natural, praise God, on a regular basis, right? We're not talking about a natural thing or a ceremonial thing. We're talking about a supernatural thing. In fact, the Bible refers to us being baptized into the baptism of Jesus Christ. Into the same baptism. He says, can you drink of the cup that I drank of? To the sons of thunder. Can you have the same baptism that I had? What happened in Christ's baptism? Was it a natural thing? Was Christ ever baptized again? Did he ever need to be? When he was baptized, the Holy Ghost descended and rested upon him. When he was baptized, the Holy Ghost descended and rested upon him. John himself said, I baptize in water, but the one who's coming will baptize in fire. And we saw at Pentecost that that was the empowerment of the Holy Ghost. And so there may be an earthly symbol. There may be an earthly seal. There may be something that you do in the natural as a mark of your faith. But the Holy Ghost makes that thing supernatural. Just like Christ's ministry began at that point of his baptism. When the voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. When you were baptized, you came up out of that water a part of his body. A part of the body of Christ. That was the one baptism. The one death and resurrection. Christ's baptism. Hallelujah. I don't want to get ahead of myself. Sit down. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. How many of you are familiar with the term all truth is parallel? All truth is parallel because uh, truth never contradicts truth. If two things are true, they are always true. In period. Right? And so you can be sure that if two things are true, they have to not 
contradict each other. How many of you know what parallel means? Parallel means two lines that go in the same direction and never intersect for infinity. Right? So truth is truth. I, I recognize that there are some other opinions on truth that exist today, but they're not the truth. <laughs> truth, truth is truth, right? But how many of you know that all throughout the New Testament, it talks about the types and the shadows and the symbols and the signs, the things that God did to prepare us, the things that God did that were shadows of the greater thing to come. How many of you recognize that the water has been a symbol of new birth and of coming to a new world? It's a repeating, what a hoity-toity scholar would say, a repeating motif in the Old Testament. It is a, uh, it is a um, you know, there's many people that... that look at the Bible as a work of literature and review it that way. And they're like, oh, it's a, it's a literary structure that repeats in the Bible in order to convey an idea. Okay. In fact, it is a structure of reality that repeats in reality because the truth is the truth. Right? <laughs> Peter says... Uh, in First Peter chapter three, uh, let's start at uh, let's start at verse seventeen. For it is better if the will of God be so that ye suffer for well doing than for evil doing. How many of you know that that's the truth? If you're going to suffer, it's it's. If you're going to suffer for one of them, it might as well be the better one, the, the good doing, right? It's, it's going to happen either way. Um, for Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. So this is Peter now echoing the same words that Paul spoke how many of you recognize that the apostles, you know, they were preaching the same, preaching the same word, right? By which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is eight souls, were saved by water. Now, a lot has happened, and I'm going to help you out. He's specifically speaking about Christ when he led captivity captive, going down and preaching to the souls of those who were in the grave from before the flood occurred. He also refers to it as the time (laughs) when the long suffering of God waited must have been a pretty rough world when God was like, okay, all right, guys, just keep going. Keep doing that. Let's see how, see how that turns out. Um, 
He, people always mention the flooding of the world as if it was God not being long-suffering. Um, but, I, I mean, we're not going to go into that right now. Um, uh, <laughs> but it says the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. It is a symbol of baptism. That moment is a mirror. It is a shadow of the baptism that saves us where the old world, the old man, the body of sin dies and the righteous man lives. And what do you get? You get a new generation. You get a new generation both with Noah and the flood and with us in the new birth. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. Just reiterating a little bit of what Paul mentioned in the previous scripture, if you didn't get it. Okay. What is a generation? The word generation is very interesting. It comes from the same place where we get the word Genesis. It doesn't just mean a beginning and it doesn't just mean, uh, it doesn't just mean a generation, like a group of people that all lived around the same time, like the millennials or the boomers, right? <laughs> it, generation is the source of something. It is the seed of something. It is the birth of something. And that's why we use the word gene from generation. That's where genetics comes from. It comes from that seed, that birth. There was a new generation after the flood. A generation that was born of a family that was righteous in the sight of God. There was a new humanity in the wake of the flood. Now, the flood could not save mankind in the way that Christ saved mankind. But it did save mankind from something. It did save mankind so that Christ could be born. The Bible says that the whole of flesh had corrupted itself upon the earth, except for this one family. And we needed a family for the seed of the woman to be born from. So we can't afford the whole earth to be corrupted in the flesh and then Jesus never to be able to come. Okay, so I'm just making a point here that this was a uh, flood of mercy. <laughs> because without what God did then, there would be no people of God. There would be no method for Christ to come into the earth. There would be no salvation. But that's not my point. If you want to know more about that, 
uh, you can get Battles of the Elohim and read that. It talks all about the pre-Adamic world, all of that stuff. Have fun with that. But what I'm talking about is a new humanity. A new humanity came into the earth then because all of those who had corrupted their way upon the earth prior were gone. And this is used by Peter, this is used as a, by the apostles as a shadow of, as a symbol of, as being a parallel truth to what happened to us when we experienced the new birth. When we were born again, there was the true new humanity, the true humanity, the destiny of humanity. You were born from a new generation. You are no longer born after the flesh. You are born after the spirit. You have literally entered into a new world. The Bi- and I'm not, I'm not tripping here. The Bible says you were translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. How many of you could recognize that the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light, two different places? Right? This isn't like a dualistic Eastern type of thing. This is a a Eastern Christian type of thing, which is that you came to a new world. In fact, such a new world that you shouldn't listen to the rudiments of the world that came before, the system of the world that came before, because you're not living in that world anymore. You're not living after the flesh. Now, how many of you recognize that that's not automatic? Paul would not say, just as you have been born again into Christ, walk after Christ, if it was automatic. Or if that was the end of the story. If people who have been translated into the kingdom of light. People who have been born again, the old man of sin is dead. People who are members of the body of Christ, people who have been given a new nature by the Lord supernaturally can choose to still walk like the world they came out of then how important is it for us to recognize who we are, who God has made us, what the new birth means? It is somehow even more drastic than the new world that Noah stepped off that boat into. Think about how crazy that is. Our new birth is a greater new birth. It's a greater new generation. It's a greater new world than what Noah stepped 
off of the ark into. It is a greater change than the whole world starting over in the natural. Because unlike Noah, you didn't step out of the waters of baptism into the same earth as you were walking in before and have to operate under the same rules that you were operating in before. The old world was washed away, but the one that Noah landed on still had man waiting on a redeemer. It still had man waiting for the fulfillment of the promise. He left an old world and landed in a new world that was not the final destination. It was not the true promised land. It was not the peace that we have been able to enter into with the new birth. So don't act like it is. Don't act like the old world was washed away, but the new world is still pretty rough. Don't act like you changed, but you didn't change that much. You know, that old man is gone, but the new man is still only human. Does that even make sense? If that was the world that God wanted to usher us into, then he could have done that with a flood. He could have done it with a flood. He could have just said, okay, we're done with Noah. Problem solved, promise fulfilled, here's your new world. Good luck, I'll see you when you die. Right? Right? But that is not the destiny that God called us to. That is not the fullness of what we are meant to walk in. And so we have to esteem our new world as a greater deliverance, as a greater change. We have to understand what God has done in us via the waters of baptism to be that, to be us entering into a new world. And listen, it's done. You're a child of God. But if you've been walking like you're not, then all you have to do is start walking like you are. Correct your stride. Correct your strut. Walk in the direction that you're supposed to be walking. You know, you've heard that before. To repent means to turn around. Doesn't just mean to say, I'm sorry. It means to change your attitude or your actions. It is a correction. It is a coming back into line with who you are. There's a reason the Bible says that some people are like those that look at themselves in a mirror and then walk away and forget who they are. Because God has made us new. He has made us something different. And we're called to be different. We're called to walk supernaturally. And if you let the devil... He will make you to forget who you are when you look in the mirror. So sometimes you got to look in the mirror again and remind yourself 
who you are and who God has made you. What is the mirror? Well, the Word of God says, beholding as in a mirror. Hallelujah. It's the Word, right? Hallelujah. Paul talks about it in Romans when he talks about, you don't have to turn there. He talks about us being saved and that salvation not being something that comes from the natural but being something that comes from God. Not being something that comes from our own righteousness, but comes from God's righteousness. Being something we could not attain ourselves. We were not worthy of because every person has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but that we were redeemed by God supernaturally. But then he says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin? God forbid. That's what he says. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? How? We're dead to it. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? This is Romans 6. Just bear with me. You can look it up later. That like as Christ, wait, therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For we have been planted together in the likeness of his death so that we shall also be In the likeness of his resurrection. What what was Jesus like when he came back from the dead? Was he the same? Did he look the same? Was he doing some of the same things? No. They didn't even recognize him. Some of you know people who didn't even recognize you after you rose from the dead. No, he <laughs> he came back glorified. He was appearing in locked rooms and, and disappearing and all kinds of things. He was supernatural. That's the likeness of his resurrection. What resurrection are you raised in the likeness of? He didn't just like come back like, oh, I'm fine, you guys, it's cool, and then like continue on like everything was the same, right? It's cool, I rose from the dead. I'm going to, you know, teach you how to do that later. (laughs) No, no, he didn't raise in the same way that he went, that he went down, right? Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now listen, I am talking to you about a new world. I am talking to you about what we are called to walk in. And I know that some of you... You know, you have been in heavenly identity for so many years. You have memorized the order of the words in that set. 
right? I understand that. But if you are not appearing in locked rooms and have not been received bodily into the clouds, then you still have not received the fullness of this revelation. And the word of God says that we'll see him as he is. And when we do, we will be just like him. Right? So that's something we do on the regular. We get a clearer picture of who we are by getting a clearer picture of who he is. Hallelujah. And then that's why you're here. Is this not church? Is this not the gathering together of the saints? Is this not where we come so that we can be trained, so that we can be equipped, so that we can be changed? So that's what you're here for. That is what you are here for. You have already entered into a new world. And listen, the flood was not the only shadow of the deliverance. Deliverance is something that God is very good at. And he has a long history of deliverance leading up to the, uh, the fulfillment of the deliverance, right? There are many times in history where the people of God have entered into a new world and they're very valuable for us. They're very valuable for us because they show us something that we find teachable in our own lives, You know, we come and the apostles taught out of all of the Old Testament because they hadn't written the New Testament yet, right? They taught concerning the fathers. They mention Noah when they're talking about baptism, right? Um, There's, let me go, let me see. I got too many scriptures, you guys. Uh, In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul mentions another example that we can use, another image, another uh, 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 sign of what our baptism is like. He says, moreover, brethren, moreover, because he's continuing from his previous statement, It's weird where chapters start in the Bible. The chapter breaks weren't originally there. In other words, you just had to read it all the way through. It was like one of our church services. (laughs) Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all of our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat. Now, he's extending this one out even further because he's saying, I want you to understand that just as we're baptized, our ancestors were baptized. Our ancestors were baptized in the cloud. They, they were baptized in the sea. Under the cloud, the cloud led them by day and fire by night. The sea was the Red Sea that they went through. 
the water that killed their enemies that was the grave of the slavery that they were living in before but was their deliverance water that to their enemy meant death but to them meant life they came through that water into a new world God said, the Egyptians that you see now, you will never again see. They were baptized in that water. They were baptized under that cloud. And it it extends even further because they all ate of the same bread, a heavenly bread, manna, manna that Christ himself said, was a shadow of him, a shadow of his coming. Because he said, I am the bread from heaven. I am the bread from heaven. And so we're baptized into a new world. We are partakers of the bread from heaven. And he even tells us that the rock (laughs) And they did all drink of the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. And so we have the baptism and we have the blood and we have the body and we have a shadow of something that was natural. Then it was natural deliverance from a natural foe. It was natural food for their natural bodies. It was natural drink for their natural bodies. A shadow that was natural then, but has been fulfilled in fullness now, spiritually now, because the new birth, the new world that we're in is not just a natural change. Because a natural change can only take you so far. It is a supernatural change. It is a change of nature. The thing that the Red Sea could not do and the flood waters could not do, this new birth did. Now, why am I talking about this? Because you need to understand, Christians see themselves as the people of God, and they are correct, right? As true Hebrews, and they are correct. As the true circumcision, and they are correct. But they have a tendency to relate a little too much to the unregenerate man of the Old Testament. They have a tendency to look at themselves as those Israelites who came across that ocean and then immediately started murmuring and worshiping idols. That earthly water, that earthly deliverance could not change their nature. It could not change who they were. And so they kept going back to the ways of old after the flood and after the Red Sea and even after crossing over into the jo- over the Jordan and taking the promised land they still fell back into the same stuff because those natural deliverances could not change their nature but what Christ brought changed us changed our nature 
I said, I said this, I've said this before when we were, I've said this before. People act like Christianity was lowering the bar so that we could live up to it. It was like God saying, oh man, I really set the bar too high. They can't do this. They can't live like this. They can't be righteous. So I'm just going to lower the bar and let them in even though they are not righteous. I'm just going to change the definition of righteous so that they can get in while they are still sinners saved by grace. You know, I'm still only human, just a sinner. That is not what the new birth is. That is not what Christianity is. Christianity was not the lowering of the bar. It was the elevation of mankind. It was the lifting up. It was Christ saying, I will make you like me so that you can walk like me. You can walk like me. The works I did, you can do. And greater works. All power in heaven and earth have I given to you. And yes, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He sent his son to save us because we could not save ourselves. But you better recognize that you are a different kind of human being than you were before God raised you up into the body of Christ. Hallelujah. If you don't recognize that, if you still think you're living in the old world, you will act like you're living in the old world. If you still think that you're living in Egypt, you will act like a slave. If you still think that you're living in that pre, pre-Noahic world, the antediluvian earth, then you will act like it. But if you recognize who God has made you, then when the systems of the world and the fear of the world and the cares of the world rear their head, you'll say, no, sorry, I don't live in that world. I don't live in that kingdom. That man, that woman is dead. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yes! And if you don't believe that's what salvation means, you need to read the Bible. I feel like people think the Bible is being poetic. It's like, oh, you're a new man. Oh, I'm a new man, you know? Like when I get a set of new clothes and it's January 1st, new year, new me. No, no, no! That's not how it works. That's not how it works. And listen, Christians don't know. Like an incredible amount of Christians don't know what the word of God says. Who the word of God says that they are. What? 
That's why we do what we do. Because we need to tell them. We need to inform them so that they're not living in that old world. That they're not living by those old standards. That they're not saying, well, I'm only human. I'm just a man. There's no other way. You know, I got to look out for number one. No one else is going to look out for me. Right? Right? Sit down. you, You guys have been standing up for like the whole time. What are you doing? We got these beautiful chairs and you're just not even using them. Hallelujah. 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 How many of you are happy that you live in a new world? That you live in a completely different state of being than you lived before you got saved. Before you were born again. Before you had that new birth. Before you became a member of the body of Christ. A member of the body of Christ. A member of the body of Christ. Like I said, it's not a member of like Sam's Club. It's a member. Like your arm is a member of your body. Hallelujah. 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 I don't know if you believe this today. My goodness. (laughs) I feel like I could just read the whole Bible right now. In John chapter 3. I'll just go to one more scripture. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Hallelujah. Nicodemus had a better revelation of what a Christian was capable of than most Christians today. Because many Christians today go, oh, well, I can't do miracles. Nobody can do miracles. Only God can do that. Right? But Nicodemus understood that if God was with a person, they could do miracles. How many of you know who lives on the inside of you? What... What does greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world even mean? What does that even mean? If you don't believe that the Lord has empowered you. What does it even mean to say you're a follower of Jesus if you don't believe Jesus? When he says, the same works that I do will you do and greater works. You can't call yourself a follower of Jesus if you don't believe the things. Oh, there goes Jesus again saying weird metaphorical poetic stuff. I've heard, listen, I've heard people say, oh, well, he's talking about leading people to the Lord. Because salvation is the greatest miracle. Because it's an eternal miracle. 
So he's talking about leading people in the sinner's prayer. That is greater works. Does that even make any sense? I recognize that salvation is the greatest miracle because it contains all of the other miracles within it. Because when you are born again, you have access to supernatural health and supernatural provision and everything that you need, right? But do you think that the apostles had not led anyone to Christ at that point? That the apostles who had gone out to all of these cities and done miracles and preached about Christ had not brought anyone to believe in Christ? Do you think that Christ didn't lead anyone to believe in Christ? Did Christ not make any Christians? Like Dr. Harfush says, are we allowed to be Christians and still think? Right? I mean, that's cute to say. But I'm pretty sure when Jesus talked about the works that he did, nobody was thinking when he said the Lord's Prayer and he taught them how to pray. Right? No. People were thinking about walking on water. They were talking about, they were thinking about all the miracles that he did. And that's obvious because the apostles didn't know any better because they just went out and started doing miracles. Nobody had told them that the sinner's prayer was the greatest miracle because they were going around telling people such as I have, give I unto you. They were walking around healing the sick. Their shadows were getting people healed. Prayer claws were getting me. Nobody told the apostles. Foolish. The apostles going around healing all these people. Healing is meaningless. When you have faith, you don't need a miracle. I've heard, I've heard that one a lot too, actually. What? Can you imagine Jesus? Not your faith has made you whole. But all your faith is great. You don't need a miracle. You got faith. Go believing. Is that, is that, is that, is that how Jesus rolled? Is that something that Jesus did? No. He said your faith has made you whole. Your faith has made you whole. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. Faith results in a miracle. It's the manifestation. It's like saying when you have money, you don't need a sandwich. I've got the currency to get the food, so I don't need to eat the food. I'll just keep this money in my pocket and starve to death. Doesn't it? What? What? It doesn't even make any sense. Look, I get it. I get it. The to die is gain, right? But how many of you know 
that to live is Christ. That that is what he has called you to do. That that is what he is empowering you to do. That statement does not mean death is better than living. It means the opposite. Because what it's saying is, yes, death is gain in that absent from the body is present from the Lord. You are better off after you pass on and you're with God than you are right now. It's gain, but it is not the highest. It is not the greatest. The greatest is to live. The greatest is to live and let Christ live through you. That's what he said. That's what he said. He said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. But it's Christ who lives through me. And so that's the greatest. The the salvation, we got covered. But if you're going to get the salvation to the end endless reaches of the world, you are going to need the supernatural power of God. You're going to need the supernatural power of God. You half the time you can't even get the gospel out in your own city without the supernatural power of God. You come across somebody that's crazy, has a devil, has got problems. And if you can't answer them, forget that some person whose tongue is possessed by the devil, comes out and starts spouting lies about God. Starts saying things that you know are not true. But if the Holy Spirit is not on the inside of you, inspiring your words, you can't answer that word. You can't reason with a devil. You're not going to convince the devil with your enormous brain full of natural knowledge. You can say it is written, but if there's no power in it, if there's no faith in it, if that word is not written on your heart, then that devil's just going to say, Jesus, I know. And Paul, I know, but who are you? You, you, you can't do it without supernatural power. And so thank God that salvation is the greatest miracle. Thank God that eternity is more important than now. But right now, it's right now. It's not eternity yet. When you get to eternity, you can think about eternity. But right now, you should be thinking about right now. That's not me saying that. That's Jesus saying that. Sufficient unto the day. Sufficient unto today is the evil thereof. Okay? Think about today. And when you see evil, don't you want the power to deal with it? When you see someone who is knotted up in sickness and illness, don't you want the ability to give them something that is more than a comfort as they die? Don't you want to be able to say, such as I have, give I unto you, rise up and walk. And you can bring them into the kingdom and 
revivify them right now so that they can go out like that woman at the well did and preach to their whole nation. Isn't that greater works? Isn't that a greater miracle than reading someone their last rites? Doesn't the Bible say if, if one of you is sick, go get the elders of the church and have them anoint them with oil and the prayer of faith will raise up the sick? Does it mean he'll raise them straight up to heaven because they're going to die still? Is that what that means? No! Why is the Bible giving us instructions for things that it's doing away with? about you but when people say that's done away with I'm like where's that in the Bible I see the miracles I see the instructions I see Jesus saying uh, 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 let's see um, all my scriptures here all power is given unto me in heaven and earth go ye therefore And teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Which includes... Doesn't that include laying hands on the sick? Doesn't that include laying hands on the sick? Doesn't that include casting out devils? Man, no wonder the apostles were so confused. They were like, well, the Lord told me to go cast out devils. The Lord told me to go heal the sick. And then he told me to raise up disciples and teach them to do everything that he told us to do. And Jesus was like, oh, I forgot to say other than the casting out devils and healing the sick. There's a little asterisk. A little cross. And then you go in the footnote. Listen, if you don't want to do miracles, the Holy Ghost is not going to force you to do miracles. Just like if you don't want to pray in diverse tongues, the Holy Ghost will not force you to pray in diverse tongues. But I am living in a new world. And all of the wealth and supply and change and supernatural ability and transformation that comes with that, I am going to go for it all. So if you don't want it, just get out of the way. Just stop complaining. Move on with your natural life. You can have everything that you want. I'm going to get everything that God promised me. Hallelujah! Hallelujah!
Thanks for joining us on the Christian Harfouche Ministries podcast. Join us on our other podcast, Miracles Today. Connect with us at globalrevival.com and we'll see you next week.